Hello, everybody. My name is Leo Anna Thomas. Um, I am sans Matt Longley today, as uh, we've been very, very productive. Um, I like using the word productive rather than busy. Or maybe it's a kind of mixture of them both. We've, uh, six feet from the spotlight, have been productively busy. Uh, um, recently, with our new news that uh, BFI went public with on February 2nd to roll out the wellbeing facilitator position across their production so we're training people we've trained people we're now mentoring new uh, uh crew into the role um so today it is me matt may be popping in on a few more a few more podcasts coming up but today it's uh, me and a guest uh simon hedges who is a friend of mine and first ad first assistant director in film and tv and he and i work together on his dark material season one back in 2018 which was an interesting time for both of us uh, which you'll 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 listen to momentarily and we basically are going to talk about you know simon getting into the role um any tips about becoming a first ad and looking after your mental health and your well-being uh general conversations around you know what what experience of mental health Simon is uh, open to sharing um, anything that he's done in terms of helping crew and conversations with producers about scheduling and you know the kind of the pressures that scheduling can push on to crew um, it's going to be you're in for a treat you're in for a treat and this is the first podcast we've done for a while and um, hopefully we'll be doing more in and around mentoring new well-being facilitators so I will leave it there and let the podcast speak for itself take care all the best and enjoy hello simon nice to see you How hi you? nice to you too yeah very good i'm very well good. Thank you very, very much for being here today and having a chat with me about all things, all things film industry and mental health. And yeah. you and I, you and I met in 2018. That's right. 2018? Yeah. 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 2018 on His Dark Materials. It feels like two years have been cut out of that because of the last two years being so I know. Weird. It feels I, like yeah. there's been a skip to yesterday. now. Yesterday. Was it yesterday or Saturday? I referred to the year as 2020. I was like, oh, my God. I'm there. I'm there. I was reading it on 2022. I was like, what are you talking about the future? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah it's weird. I could, in 2021, I was 22. And then I was like, now 2022, I've referred back to 2020. And it's just a strange time. But yeah, that's, that's yeah. a whole nother podcast about the <laughs> pandemic and what that's doing with Corona Temporal brain. displacement. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hugely aware that some people might be listening to this and not know what a first AD is, a first assistant director is. So I kind of I kind of want you to just, if it's okay with you, just introduce yourself and like how you got into the industry and yeah. your own kind of journey in, like, and was it something you always wanted to do and then kind of cover what actually a first assistant director is? Sure. Yeah. Interesting. I just had to do an interview with an Australian 
student for a magazine and it was pretty much covering the same thing and I'm quite happy to ramble on about ramble on go for it uh, yeah so when yeah I was I've wanted to do this since I was a kid or work in the film industry in some capacity so uh, probably watching when I was five six seven years old watching all the Lucasfilm movies in the set you know 70s and 80s and uh but never thought it was possible for a kid from a country town you right. know Northwestern in in a in Somerset, you know, it was a wasn't yeah. a real ambition. So, um, but I was just I was the classic movie geek at school with all the magazines and all the you know making movies with my Betamax film camera with all my mates up the woods and editing them. You know, I was that I was that kid. Do you still but, have uh, the films? Do you still have some of them you made? No, uh, sadly, my stepmom gave them away to someone's dad. I can't remember years okay. ago. Still bitter about yeah yeah the, the memory <laughs> survives um but then I was at school I dropped out of A-levels and went to work in a record shop classic it was just like high fidelity of course you know yeah. and, it was, and then I was in a band so I played music till I was 28 years old in a band and then a friend of mine got me a job on a set I'd done other documentaries before just helping people out yeah with sound working camera working blah 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 and but then my first proper TV set was a friend of mine works in costume and he got me on as a dresser one day and I got paid cash in a wow. brown envelope and I was after after 13 years of playing music and just <laughs> hand to mouth for 13 years and struggling I was like holy shit you know and also as well I was on this BBC costume drama but to me it felt like oh my god this is I felt like I was working on Star Wars I was like fucking hell this is another another sorry swearing no sorry. you can swear swear away I swear away yeah. fine it's good go for it good yeah. news good news um <laughs> So subsequently, my friend, yeah, he got me another job. It was, I felt like I'd prepared after 13 years sitting in the back of a tour bus reading Scorsese on Scorsese, Cronenberg on Cronenberg and all the film magazines and just watching every type of movie I could. I was, you know, the film geek. Yeah. So I felt prepared to be on a film set. So then once I got on a set, I got my first proper job as a runner um, yeah. and saw the job of a, an AD and the first AD and thought that's kind of what I'd like to do I don't know whether it's uh because I'm a bass player and I thought you know the first AD's backing up the band all the time and yeah. kind of, you know yeah leading from the back almost you know yeah. and the, all the actors and the director do all their thing and uh but just like and I, I met a, a really good first AD someone I, I really got on with and we kind of you know teamed up and he got me on as a third AD on my first feature as a third and became a second and went on from there and kind of tried to work up quite quickly because I was 20, 28 when I was a runner and all the other runners were like 18, 19, 20. And I thought, shit, I need to. How did that feel? How did that feel going into that environment, knowing, like, recognising that age difference? To tell the truth, I wasn't really bothered about that. I just thought, I, I thought in a way I had a, a certain advantage over them because I just had a sort of, like I say maturity. I don't, yeah. you know, I even feel right now there's a, kind of, there's a lack of maturity. But um. <laughs> But I, I felt like I had sort of more life experience. But also, it was quite difficult because the year before, I'd left the band and I'd, we played Glastonbury, and I was like, wow. you know, we'd released an album and it was done all right and everything. And I'm, I'm working on Midsummer Murders, led on a tennis court, standing in for one of the actors, and it was raining. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. All the, crew, crew, all the crew were walking around me, and I was like, "Fuck you! I played Glastonbury <laughs> last year. Do you not realize how cool I am?" <laughs> oh my goodness. And it was a bit of a step back, but at the same time, I was um, more than thrilled to finally, you know, mm. and to find myself there right. after all the time and to have left the band and then be working on, it was Midsummer Murders. It wasn't 
uh, you know, no great shakes in terms of creativity and everything, but it's a, uh, it, it, uh, it was a set and I was yeah. getting to know people who knew people, you know, I was driving the actors to work. It was, it was crazy times, you know? And so, and so, and then when Joe, the first AD from there took me onto his film, it was even better. It was a low budget toilet film, you know, but it was, to me, it was, it's still every day, you know, I went to see a screening recently of a, film i did last year the duke uh it was just oh i have yet to watch that i want to see that oh and also the the lost daughter i'm just going to say right now marvelous but we can get back to that yeah both those films i'm really proud of yeah but just sat in a cinema in in, uh where was it at the national gallery going to the premiere with the warner brothers logo i still got that thrill the same thrill that the kid got watching star wars when i was a kid watching being on the set of midsummer murders or being you know being in the cinema watching one of the movies it's the same thrill of storytelling and movie making and everything as well it never go away so but um you asked yeah my job yeah no just i was just going to say just the word thrill it's mm. such a it's such a kind of um it is a thrilling industry you know you mentioned yeah. storytelling and having this time to in, inspire and educate people and have escapism mm. especially with what's going on in the world right now in the last few years and yeah. what's happening in ukraine and it's like I oft- I spoke to a DOP yesterday about about feeling about the feelings of working in this industry and going to events and stuff and screenings and red carpets and during this time it feels like it feels so wrong it's like that doesn't yeah. seem like that's not reality but we had a really good discussion and I'm raising it because it's similar to what you just said about you know it's it's a thrill and it's educational and it's important because it gives people an outlet to escape and, and inspire. Mm. And you were, you were in your tour van inspired by the Scorsese's and in the Star Wars. Mm. And it was a kind of, I guess it was like a, it sounded like a comfort for you. And, you know, it gave you direction to what you wanted to do. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's important to have in the industry. It's, it's important to have in life, but it is a, it just, maybe it's now more important than ever. Right. Cause we, we're able to facilitate that escapism and ins- inspiration to a degree. Yeah, I, I used my own example when I was young, I had a very disruptive childhood and I used films and television and books as an escape and music and yeah. an escape from my day to day. So I didn't have to think about that. So I didn't have to, you know, um, connect with it. So I found um, movies and books a lifeline and stories a lifeline. And I can see now with my niece and nephew that they, you know, the, the things they love, they love it for a reason. They go to see Spider-Man. And to me, I'm going, going, okay, the last Spider-Man film was pretty good. It was all right, you know, but um, they're, they're watching the Avengers movies, which I'm not so into, but I can see that there's a there's a model of storytelling, which is good mm. and bad. And there's moral judgments, which kids um, are not always adapt, adept at making on their own, which when they see them on screen or they see heroes portrayed, it's the same as watching... I don't know, you know, I'm wary to say it's the traditional story, fireside storytelling tradition yeah. that since the Dark Ages or whatever. But um, is painting on caves 50,000 years ago the same as us? Yeah, that's a good point. Portraying yeah. ourselves on screen and, you know, with science fiction, with any yeah. fiction, you know, and we, uh, what did I go and see recently? Brilliant movie, Petite Maman. Have you seen oh, that Oh, I've not seen that. Celine Sikian. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, that's like. I've not, not seen it yet. Not even worth talking about any other film to me. Last year, <laughs> I was I was chatting to friends about Nightmare Alley and blah blah blah, and we were like, "Well, it's okay," but it was blah blah. And I watched Petit Maman. And I was like, I, "I don't even want to talk about any other movie. I don't even want to talk about Belfast now or anything." Oh. Do you know what I mean? It's so beautiful. But again, I got that kind of. Um, I came away with a with many 
it's not moral lessons, it's not being preached to, but it's kind of a reflection of your own approach to other human beings and to the world. Yeah. And so if, if Spider-Man can give us that in The Lost Daughter or Petite Maman or, or anything, yeah, with summer murders for first yes, thing, then, anything, then, yeah. then why not? In it, during lockdown, when I had six months I wasn't working, I kept doing that thing, probably what a lot of people did, going, what do I enjoy in life? What are my values? What do I want to do? What makes me get up in the morning? And I'm really glad I kept coming back to my work. I, I want to keep doing this. I love. I love it. I really love the when it's when it's good, when it's great, and you're working with wonderful people, and you're making something that you believe in. It yeah. can be. It's to me. It's the 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 best I can do. So you know? it's, that is marvelous to hear, and it is important to kind of share everybody that there is. You know, it's an amazing industry, and if it keeps bringing you back, that is mm. a good sign that you're enjoying yeah. yourself, and you're. You know, it should be fun to make mm. films and, and 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 tv shows but obviously there's a side to it that is very stressful and it's and i think that's so in com in terms of like your job being a first yeah. ad i like the way you kind of um married it to the fact of being a bass player when you're like yeah. leading from the back it's kind of a good like a good uh <laughs> is it symbiotic moment there yeah. like what the role is so in terms of being a first ad and if anyone's listening who doesn't know what that is, what 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 would happen like when you're when you come on board? What what steps do you take? You go into prep, and what is your responsibility? So yeah, to go back to the start of that, it's not always thrilling and fun. I've worked on some horrendous projects where I, I have felt that anxiety, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah. um, so my uh, my very first, so I'm interviewing for work at the moment. So the, the very first thing I'll do when I get one of these jobs is I'll get the script, and then I have to break that down into its each scene into its component parts so i each the, the breakdown of each scene would be the actors are there any stunts are there cars are there you know sometimes there's nothing going on it's just two actors in a room but then you take into account the location of that room and from all that information you make a shooting schedule with the director and with the producers you come to a point where you you make the schedule for the film whether that's a six-week schedule for a for a film or a week schedule for a short film or a hundred day schedule for a, you know, a long TV show or a long movie like that. And then I suppose my responsibility after that is to make sure each day that each day gets shot. Yeah. That each day gets shot in style, which means with the quality that of the product that you're trying to achieve, you know, so something like the lost daughter, you, you make sure that each day, um, has got the best acting you could possibly require from the film because I knew it was an art film. It was it was going to require that you shoot a TV comedy and you're kind of like twelve pages a day and you can you know mm. be a bit more you know different, different flexibilities of it, right? Yeah, but I, but I do I do find more and more that I've gone on and I've worked with the the best directors that I've worked with, and by best I mean the kindest and the right. nicest who still make good films. Uh, like Maggie, who made Lost Daughter, and Roger, who made The Duke. Um, and this year, I worked with Philippa Lothorpe, who's another absolute legend, who uh, I find keep keeping people happy. I do find it a really, really important part of my job. Everybody, literally everybody on set, yeah. and the cast, and the director, to make sure that people are enjoying their work. And yeah. And not feeling, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I've spoken recently to a few friends about the role of First AD and when we started this work at creating a wellbeing facilitator, whenever we've gone on to productions, it's usually the First ADs who are just, or the producers, line producers who are like, yeah, we kind of do these, we kind of, you act like, a, you, it's almost like a parent on the set as mm. well. And you're, you've got to make sure the day's, you know, met, but you are dealing with, with, 
so many people above and below the line in front and behind the camera, different personalities. And it's, I know I couldn't do it. I know to me that feels like I get anxiety thinking about it, the amount of pressure that that must feel. Have you ever felt like it's been, I guess, two questions and I'll, I'll, yeah, two questions. When you first started out doing ADing, was it, was there a difference to how it is now, now that we're in like a streaming content and filmmaking and TV making is different? Have you noticed any pressures that are changed or any differences or uh, along those lines? Cause we know that scheduling is tight yeah. and you know, you're under pressure, I'm assuming to make sure you get everything in on the time that you've been given. So mm. have you noticed the change of your career? Like how it's, how it's shifted? Is there, has there been a shift? Have you I, thought, I thought there would be, but the, the job I did last year, this sort of quite big Lucasfilm Disney job I did for the pretty much the whole year last year, it was the same, the same concerns there's too much to do and too little time the the you know the writer was writing too much stuff in the script which would have demanded too much uh and it was quite a stressful job at times because also as well added to the stress that um an actor would get COVID and you have to that they're not there for 10 days so you're kind of carving up the shoot into these yeah. little things but ultimately any stress i believe we would have felt on that job last year and at times it was stressful were purely down to the fact that i know this is all you know to me it's a lot of mathematics it's uh we're trying to shoot uh 50 odd 60 pages in 30 days mm. for an hour's worth of high quality television that the equation doesn't work until further down the line when philippa came on board and we were shooting 36 days for 48 days for pages of television and then and that to me after years of doing this job, there's a kind of, you get this kind of logarithmic brain where you read a script, look at the amount of days, mm. and you kind of work out quite quickly if that's possible. You take everything into account, the, yeah. the, 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 the content of the script as well, how many yeah. stunts, or how many cars and things like that, and then you work out. And I, I'm lucky myself to have worked on, I'd say, three or four what I would consider perfect productions. Um, where it's a perfect production, yeah. In your it's mind. Where, it's where the, I think I learned on, I did Three Girls, this show years ago, about the Rochdale pedophile ring with yeah. Philippa Lofer. We shot in Bristol and we, and I knew that that had to be a chilled set. I knew that had to be, I, I scheduled crying time because I knew there was going to be wow. times when the, 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 the prep was hard work. This is, we'll talk more about this later, about the, yeah. the subsequent effect on that doing that show for me yeah. but the prep on that and imagine the research we were having to do yeah. reading the scripts and then having the schedule and realizing that we were three days over and we weren't going to get it or to me logistically we were 12 pages over and at the read-through the writer nicole who's amazing i can't remember her surname nicole and philippa the director and one of the execs were like okay we're going to cut, tw cut 12 pages and i was like oh my God, this is the first time I've been on the production where you're actually listening. Wow. And they did, they, they cut 12 pages. It was really hard work. Nicole was just like wrenching her heart out and throwing it on the floor and going, is that enough? And I was like, two more pages, please. Oh. And they did it. And we shot, every day we went in knowing that we were going to finish the day, we were going to finish it with quality and we weren't going to be rushing to the finish line every day. We were going to be, you know, it wasn't light days at all. It was just perfectly scheduled. Yeah. And so... In amongst, you know, because the, the show was about three three girls, three girls who went to court, true story about these three girls who went to court and put these um, guys behind bars, the, the grooming pedophiles, you know. Yeah. 
and they the, the real girls were going to come to visit set they were they were there with us you know and 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 i knew within that environment there were there was you know certain days i was like okay that's going to take us two and a half hours to shoot that scene and then there's going to be at least 20 minutes of crying afterwards and right. i was kind of, was kind of right you know there was rape scenes and oh, there was it was it was all you know hard work so it, it to me in terms of a perfect job we we shot that and we shot it well um yeah. we shot without undue stress this there's always anxieties you know yeah. involved in production the same with i would say the duke it was perfect we had a perfect skit because roger's so experienced he doesn't want to experience stress of any type um and when, when i did christopher jeffries with him as well the lost uh honor of christopher jeffries the same we were finishing early most days but with quality yeah. really good and uh, disobedience i did a film with sebastian lelio a few years ago with rachel vice and yeah. rachel mcadams and again because sebastian's so experienced every day we knew we were going to finish and we knew that we were going to go home on time and we we're going to come out the next day and do another good day's work and it was and i think all four of those jobs <clears throat> they got nominated for awards they've done really well they've yeah. you know and we we shot them without that undue pressure that comes from having too much work to do in too little time because the producers and the directors and all those um on all those uh, on all those films and shows understood that they understood it yeah from the <clears> very <throat> beginning they understood that so rather than put pressure on yourself and then pressure on everybody else to try and squeeze it all in yeah they yeah. recognize it i wonder if i wonder it's almost like you did a, a mental health risk assessment it's, it's almost like you did it without being officially doing it you looked at it for where are the trigger points where do i need i like you say crying time yeah the fact that you realized that something was going to be difficult and mm. so when you had that conversation about crying time in was that your idea and did the producers uh, did no, you... I, I didn't mention it to anyone i was just oh, like really? in, instinctively okay. because you can't justify that to a producer who's there going why must we cut 12 pages and i'm like just trust me, you know, and it, right. and it is sometimes like I'm there to do a job. My job is to assess how long this is going to take to shoot. And I did, you know, certain jobs where I've not been listened to. Um, and I've just had to be in meetings going, those two days there or this week is going to be shit. What do you mean shit? Well, it's going to be shit because we're going to go over. We're going yeah. to pull be shouting at each other. And, you know, and it's going to be just unhappy and it's going to be a stressful week. And then we get there, comes to Wednesday. Well, that was day was really shit. Yeah, like I said, I told you weeks really ago. Shit. Yeah, you know, I, I can define. I, I could define a shit day into many. Maybe we'll go two hours over. Maybe we'll skip lunch. Maybe we'll do these really awful things, which you know are going to have a knock-on effect for not just the quality of the show, because that's what suffers ultimately. Yeah, is the, is um is the is the quality of the morale going yeah. forward you know, of and the, the health and well-being of everybody that you're responsible for. And yes. so when we did Dark Materials together, um, by the time me and Otto, I'm being very non-discreet, not discreet, <laughs> indiscreet, <laughs> by the time me and Otto Bathurst had arrived to do episodes four and five, the crew were in absolute tatters yes. because of the first director. They were in, they were, that I could see people having panic attacks that we were yeah. going on rookies with because they had had such an awful time on the first two episodes. Um, yeah. With this terrible director by the time me and otto came along all we all we really had to do was finish a day on time and keep smiling and yeah it was like jesus and the dalai lama had arrived at the same time <laughs> kind of, kind of the day. 
but what we did do, why Otto is as well is so, so brilliant. And Eros Lynn, who shot Ep6 with me as well on that show, yeah. uh, Otto really understood the schedule. Yeah. And there were certain stunt sequences involved. We were going to drop these, I don't know if you remember, we were going to yeah. drop these, uh, these the Egyptian uh, bloody sleds were going to fall off a yes. cliff and yes. there was this huge stunt sequence. And I sat with Otto one day and he was just like, that's two days, that's a pain in the arse, isn't it? And I was like, and we were both like, Lord of the Rings has done it much better. We're <laughs> not going to compete with that. And Otto brilliantly was like, this scene isn't about sleds falling down a ravine. It's about the relationship between the people. So let's go there. Let's shoot a day. Let's not do two days and then another day of, and yeah. incrementally, bit by bit, Otto cut the script down to be manageable. And I remember that those two episodes we shot being very, very happy times. I, I was with some of that crew last year on this job in Cardiff and a lot of the art department remembered that those days we were pushing the sleds up this grassy bank and everything and we sat in the grass eating ice creams yeah. and having a love because Otto's so brilliant. And they remember it as their best days filming, you know, yeah. and, and only because um, Laurie, the producer, listened to me when I said we can't do it in 30 days, we need 33, fine, yeah. good. And Otto listened, well, and reacted and instigated, cutting the script down to fit within the time. And he yeah. looked at the schedule and went, can't do that, cut that, we will do this. And it made it perfectly. And so, so when I say perfect productions, that's exactly what I mean. The work fits the time. Right, and people listen and people are people aware listen. And the people listen and they see yeah. that, that that you raising these, I guess, quote yeah. unquote, concerns is as, as a preventative to make sure that, like you said, the quality at the end comes out and you retain your crew and people are healthy. And it's great. Is that Laurie Borg? That, yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, the fact that they're even, the fact that he was open and people around you were open is fantastic because, yeah, we met on his dark materials. And I think, I, I think I had a hard time on that. For, for reasons it was Alan McDonald's uh, anniversary of his suicide during yeah. that and then and then Morag Webster took her own life around mm. that same time and I was away from home I moved to Cardiff I had no friends and family around there yeah and, and I just was like it was too many too many things that were pushed mm. and I don't think I don't think I did episode three with Dawn Shadworth um, right. and Susie yeah. Susie Lavelle and um, so I think you came on an episode four onwards right? Again. I don't know if you agree, but I think Dawn was given a massive amount to do in too little time. Oh my god! And all of—I mean, Dawn was fabulous, and Susie was fabulous. I think she's but, great. But it, I think they both. Her attitude and Susie's attitude, and just two women at the helm as well, was fabulous. Yeah. And I remember most of most of that episode I worked on was all on boats, just literally like two weeks on the water, and that was, yeah. <clears throat> it was hard. It was hard work. Well, I, I looked at the schedule and I was like, I wouldn't attempt that. And I know Otto wouldn't. And I, and I think Dawn was given too much to do. And, and and I think there was a lot of stress. So after the first two episodes, there was stress anyway. Yeah. And then Dawn was given all this impossible work to do. And it was just stressful again. And then, you know, like I say, Otto came on and kind of just kind of righted the ship. You know, and by that time, Laurie was... Laurie was great. He was like, oh, could you do it in 30 days? No, it's going to be yeah. 30. I think it was 35 in the end. And the same with that when Eros came in. For Ep six, he he really listened and said, and he looked at the schedule, Laurie, and with his experience, said that's as long as you need. And so, unless um, Jack cuts twelve pages from the script, it's going to be thirty three days or thirty five. So yeah. he really listened, and that that the, the support at that point was was great. But I, yeah. I know, you know, again, away from the logistics of it, I know I know what you mean when you say there's certain jobs you do where it does become difficult because it may be the perfect job, but you're having stuff in your private life, which mm. events, which 
you know, and being away from home, being, and I turned down a job in Edinburgh um, last year with Stephen Frears, who's a director I would have killed to work for. Do you know what I mean? He's just yeah. one of the guys I would definitely want to work for. And he was doing a job in Edinburgh, and it was at the start of the year when lockdown was still very much in place. And I thought three months, with my experience now, thinking three months in Edinburgh on my own, not being able to go out, that just sounds lonely and bleak. That doesn't sound like a fun, thrilling experience. And then I even got offered a job this year, going to India for eight months. Yeah. And I think a few years ago, I would have gone, yeah, that sounds so exciting and brilliant, but I couldn't take a team with me. So I just thought there's going to be me in the second most polluted city in the world <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on my own. And I'm at the moment, I'm enjoying spending time with friends and family and I've yeah, playing it, so having well. So having that, having that work-life balance is really important. And that's like, I was going to ask mm. you if there's any tips that you could give to people who in general in the crew, or maybe want to be a first AD about yeah. the tips to keep that balance. Cause I know that I know one of the things that, and it, it sounds big, but it's true, saved me was mm. connecting with you on his dark materials and yeah. and Sean Varney and mm. and some other and the, the puppeteers and there was a very small little group of us but then we found that yeah. that jazz night on Monday nights and I just couldn't I just that just changed it all as soon as I had a bit more of a social life and it wasn't mm. going out and getting shit faced it was like actually yeah. enjoying some good music and having conversation that actually yeah. was what helped me through continuing what I could I, continue I, on that job yeah, I, I think the same because I had just come into that job. I'd come back from Belgium after eight months shooting on Les Miserables and I'd just split up with my partner of 13 years before at the start of Dark Material. So oh, I was going I through that. similarly, you know, interesting, uh, long, dark tea time of the soul, as Douglas Adams would say. But it's, um, and so finding that group, the, the same for me on Dark Materials, I found it so sociable. And I find it on any job, even on Willow last year, it was quite difficult to form those connections because it was still in lockdown. We couldn't go out, we couldn't go to the movies and we couldn't go and socialize. And I remember on Dark Materials, we had jazz night, we had movie night. We'd go and watch, yeah. you know, go and watch Star is Born or, you know, yeah. Yeah. the Freddie Mercury thing or whatever. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, I remember that. That was at the, the, the transcript. Yeah, and we, we would have these social occasions. And I, I think that the balance whilst you're working is, you're absolutely right, is, um, is a thing I felt. You know, you got to do it in your twenties, but the thing of getting shit faced every night—it's not the way to keep your energy going. Because it sometimes it's not—you know—this whole thing about is it a marathon or is it a sprint or whatever. No matter what it is, a job, um, you've got to keep your energy up. And I think going out and socialising is great, but that whole thing about the drinking culture of going out on a weeknight and everything as well—it's—it's—it it's, uh, doesn't work for me anymore anyway. And I—I I found that the way I can get to the end of an eight-month shoot and still feel chipper and still feel good with everybody is by not doing that and it's it but it's having that social time as well so on willow eventually i'd go to the beach in the summer we'd go to the beach oh, after nice. work you know and on the lost daughter it was amazing i took my guitar with me and i'm gonna to have to name drop a few things there, that's fine do it do it you, you imagine the stars in that movie um and yeah. just I, I say stars beautiful beautiful you know we're hanging out with Jesse Buckley's just one of the best you could work with and Paul Mescal and yeah. Olivia I've worked with six times now but luckily I took the guitar so evenings for the first few weeks while we weren't doing nights were sat in someone's balcony or in the garden in the hotel playing guitar and just having sing songs and I, I found that 
from that film, the, the bonds we made by doing that every night and having singing songs and just having drinks. And it was, you know, it was a couple of drinks, wasn't shit faced every night. Yeah. But again, that social aspect of that job and the social as aspect of the juke that I did as well is really important to keep that balance. But I, I, I find the mistake I made a few years ago when I got really, I found some jobs, you know, like we'll go over in a bit, the three girls I found retrospectively really disturbing. Yeah. And really stressful and I did a job a few years ago a horror I did a horror movie years ago that that really affected me the director was an absolute bastard and it really affected me and I did a horror show a few years ago um for Sky which um the it was insane and I think all of us from my team had PTSD after that job not wow. joking we had really <clears throat> you even had to name the, the name of the location and um, I felt literally I had spiders eating my eyes it was just horrible you know so, so and what but what I forgot about through, through all of those jobs as well that my own personal life is much more important than any job that I'm doing at that certain time yeah. so you kind of get lost in the to me the thrill of it the the responsibility of it of being a first AD but what I forgot was to stay in contact with my friends stay in contact with my family and keep playing music with the band and keep um keep my social life and keep all the things that I'm genuinely interested in keep yourself you know, grounded yeah. right keep yourself grounded keep yourself grounded and and you get you, it's easy when you're away on location to you know you're drinking a lot you're you're in this sort of bubble i suppose yeah, yeah. and you're forgetting to get out of that bubble and to go and do your things and it in it incrementally just wears you down to the point you get to the end of a job and you know I, I think so that the horror movie I did in, in uh, Cornwall years ago was really strong there, there were again people having panic attacks because of this director because he was such was a there bastard anyone, was there anyone yeah. available on I mean the work we're doing is a role game so that's new was there anything available to support no no, no nothing and the, the, I gotta say as well the producer was a bastard as well and so it was kind of like and but we were there to believe in this film and to get it done and and to, to finish it we're shooting night shoots every night and it was really stressful in a car it was dangerous as well i would right. say breaking the law it was sounds like breaking it, the law i mean production it was all the film industry yeah. in itself and in terms of providing like their legal duty of care uh yeah they've never it's never really been a thing and therefore i mean i'm learning this uh having met matt and going being part of six feet from the spotlight learning what is actually the law and what yeah. and it's shocking how how much has been broken and it's yeah. kind of you know we're we're at, we're at a turning point and i hope we're at a turning point but so you so you you when you when you were having these feelings of or watching people have panic attacks or feeling of mm. ptsd were were you able to how did that effect worked around you and how were you, how were you uh, able to help and did you help yourself? And it was, I would say at the time it was in, in it, it was a long time ago. I think things have changed now. It, I wouldn't ever do a job like that again. I, yeah. I would hope to think jobs like that don't exist again because, but I, you know, because I've gone out of that sort of very extremely low budget film world. Yeah. I worry sometimes, I think, oh, well, things are different now because they've changed, but it's only because I'm doing bigger budget stuff with right. health and safety advisors and, you know, and, and bigger crews and it's not as stressful as that and certainly not as dangerous. Um, but those films, I think, still exist. And there was, there was, I would say at the time, there was very little I could do. It was all I could do each morning or, no, sorry, each evening because I was sleeping all day because it was night shoots, is to get up, go through the director's shot list, work out how we were going to balance these 
work out these three cars that we were shooting in with these rigs and blah 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 and just and actually just getting the film made took all of my energy and there was one point I was really glad I did fall out with the producer and director and we're just uh in defense of the crew and I'm really glad there was some of the crew could hear me shouting in the car going these <laughs> fucking people are making your stupid fucking film because <laughs> <laughs> he was like the director said, what's going on what's going on I was like what is going on he yeah. says people out there fucking at 12 o'clock at night yeah. rigging your bloody car so you can so shut up you know but anyway that, thank that, you that for being what, there for the crew thank you for that was already fell out you know and but I think nowadays uh I had a conversation with the second idea I worked with a lot a few days ago we did a film a few years ago where the makeup artist was was bullying a lot of people using her power as the personal makeup artist of a very successful actress right. to abuse her position and at the time we spoke to the producer nothing was done but it wasn't like we were asking something for it done because we were just trying to get through the film again and this is why I think we were talking about it a few days ago is because that was a few years ago and I think things have changed now where if that did happen I would report her you yeah. know and, and there was a moment on a job a few years ago one of the actors was really out of order to me really and the producer spoke to me the next day like are you going to be okay as in are you going to you know molly coddle this right. you know and i was like uh i am okay but if he does it again i will report him you know and it's yeah. like and i think it's got to the stage now i'm glad me personally anyway from my point of view where i would report their makeup artist now i'd report that actor now for their behavior and on i've done jobs recently where i've had to report the director to the execs for the way he was talking i, I was going to say when you say report do you mean directly to the upper echelons in that production or to like yeah. two or you mean uh, Luckily, the production I was working on had a really good HR policy and HR team. So I could, um, and within that production, and I, I loved the way they dealt with it because they weren't, um, you're very naughty and you must never do this again and we're going to sack you. It was kind of, why are you feeling like you need to talk like this to people? Right. There was a, you know, and why, uh, if you're feeling stressed, there are people you can talk to because if it's a stress thing, you know, and a lot of directors, they it's purely from their inability to deal with the scale of the production and the stress. I was about to say, that's a really good question they ask because most times people who are being accused of being a bully or know they're bullying are most likely under a lot of pressure, whether that's outside of work, dealing with private mm. things, or they're feeling insecure or they're feeling pushed. So yeah. a lot of the time, a lot of the time, the quote unquote perpetrators are the ones that need a lot of help themselves. And just saying, yeah. fuck off, you're fired, is not an answer. No. It's not, you've got to help people and see where you can take responsibility to shift that pressure, yeah. shift that stress and move on. And I like what you said about, um, you know, the fact that you're on, you, you, you're kind of doing bigger films and projects now that, that you, you have got more health and safety support and mm. hopefully, hopefully we'll cross paths in the future and you'll have a wellbeing facilitator. Yeah. But, there are low budget. I have a lot of, I'm doing a podcast soon with a, a, a filmmaker who's just made a short film and there is a lot, all the panels that I speak on, mm. there's a lot of concern about how, how, how is a low budget going to afford this role? How do we, you know, how can we, how can we still have a healthy production when we're not, we're not the Amazons on the Netflix and it's doable. Yeah. It's very doable. And it, and it come, it could be something from having someone like you and your attitude of, of just being kind and compassionate and having the conversation at the beginning. And mm. if you can't afford to put in all these policies or have a new role placed, you know, being kind is free and having compassion yeah. is free and just having the moment of awareness and communication is free. Mm. Yeah. 
and support yeah. and t t take away the pressure. I, I think with any low budget film or low budget uh, short or anything, it's just taking that pressure away from the production and giving it the time it deserves. Yeah. And or um, or cutting the script down to fit the. If you've only got a week to shoot the short, um, there's a certain realism that comes with that, and the stress comes from knowing by 11 o'clock in the morning that you're going to go two hours over and these yeah. people aren't going to go home and people are going to be pissed off and everything and, and if you can't afford the the wellness coordinator or the, even the health and safety advisor then being realistic about your schedules and the workload that you're putting onto people and i, I swear after seeing directors I, i've had directors i've worked with on projects who have been an absolute dream who have done jobs i wouldn't say without me but have done different jobs where the schedule's been too much and people have come to me and gone God, he's an absolute arsehole. And I'm like, really? He was brilliant when I worked with him, you know. But, yeah. but because the directors get this stress, if I feel stressed sometimes, they must feel this, un, you know, yeah. unimaginable stress of, of having to deliver this project for these huge companies who are yeah. demanding this, you know. What, what, do, you, do you have any idea of what a solution or what solutions could be put in place to help alleviate these, these tight schedules? I mean, I mean, if 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 we're lucky to have a, a an open-minded uh, producer who will listen to something like you said, and they give you an extra few days, or they remove twelve oh. pages of a script, which is great, yeah. that's kind of a solution in itself. But I we kind of pose these questions to people on our podcast of like any idea of what maybe other solutions could happen to alleviate any of these issues. Do you know? Just, yeah. Um... To me, it's common sense and makes sense, but I know that somehow it mm. all comes down to money. <laughs> and it's, it is because if, if you know sometimes i think it's uh you know i come onto a production and they're like you have 32 days to shoot this and i'm like that sounds like an arbitrary figure but it's not an arbitrary figure it's a, it's a figure that's drawn up based on the accounting of this is how many days we can afford to, to hire all this equipment and keep all these people employed you know and and so when you know the lost daughter was difficult it was 28 days to shoot 120 wow. something pages and bless her maggie is brilliant she's uh and but we weren't going to cut any pages yeah and i kept saying kind of this is going to be difficult and i kept sending schedules with little red pen going this day <laughs> this day is going to be not wanting to freak anyone out but this day is going to be you were giving people's heads up so you could you you were putting in like a preventative comment it, measure it, it, gave them, say, yeah. it gave them heads up and it, and it did reach a point on that production where it was just like we we were all tired We've had enough of 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 doing. You know, we can't go over anymore. You know, and it yeah. was. But love the Greek crews because they're just like that's. You know, our, our lives are being impacted by this production, and it was a lesson for everyone to learn out there that that you can't shoot that many pages in that many days. Although we did, although there were certain scenes that didn't make it into the film. I think because we were shooting them at quarter to six and the sun was going down, and they just didn't look great. Which is my biggest fear a lot of times is that the quality of the the film is going to suffer from right. shooting a two-page scene in half an hour do you know what i mean mm. it does happen and it's not good but um uh but it's definitely not suffered because it's it's up for many awards right and well and, because because i had to make the sort of ultimate decision in in the end of kind of um 
even when the producers were brilliant as well. They were so optimistic and so, and even at times when I was like, you know, we've only got an hour left. And they were like, they kept saying from Finding Nemo, keep on swimming, keep on swimming. <laughs> and so we ended up just doing that all the time. And it was, I, I, I don't mean to say it ever got to a stress point where it was all like, ah, oh, we hate this. It just, it was, there was always that attitude going on. But to, to me, the stress came from not getting the film made. And you got bloody Ed Harris and Olivia Coleman and, you know, not, revering them as some sort of superstars, but actors who are at the top of their game are the best. And you don't get those guys out of the box to then tell them to rush, rush, rush and go, go, go. Yeah. You know, you get, you get those guys on set so they can do the, their best work and you have to make an environment for that to, to exist in. Yeah. So again, not wanting to rush people, but I would leave scenes at the end of the day. I'd say to Maggie, every day needs a ripcord. She loved that. She was like, every day needs a a point where you can go, we'll shoot this in one shot and we'll be out of there, you know, and, yeah. but then, and I kind of have to make the, the, the conscious decision in myself without sharing that, just like, I'm going to give these scenes time. I'm going to give Jesse Buckley time with these two little girls yeah. to make the best of it. Because when this film is shown in Venice, whatever, the thing that is on screen is going to be Maggie's direction of these brilliant actors. So mm -hmm. if we have to have a scene at the end of the day that we have to rush and it's mad and blah, 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 I kind of have to choose in my own head what scene do I not want to dwell on? And right, I have to right. do the same on this production. Um, Les Miserables I did a few years ago for the BBC. Yeah. And it was, it, was pain, it was painful, really stressful production. We cut a lot of days out of the schedule um, just before we started shooting, but the scripts didn't cut. And so we were just ramming stuff in. Wow. And I, as, as a literary fan myself of Les Miserables and, you know, any, um, I can't say not the musical, but um, some of the <laughs> old movies, um, I had to make the decision of going, uh, Javert jumping off the bridge, we need a lot of time for that because I love that scene. Um, you know, uh, Fontaine's death scene, I'm going to give that a lot of time. But then I was like, Fontaine drops off Cosette at the Thenardier's. I think we can rush that. Do you know what I mean? And it was yeah, terrible yeah. decisions to have to make. And then we get to the barricades, you know, the big fight scenes. And I'm like, that's when I start to feel the real pinch in that production of you've cut days from the schedule, but this is dangerous. This is people fighting with swords. And, yeah. you know, and the, I felt true anxiety on that job. Um, because of the safety of the, and having to coordinate and in my head decide what were the important things for that show because production weren't helping and the scripts weren't helping and the director was, but that was a real fight to get that show made. Yeah. And get it, you know, and get, get it made of a certain quality. And I watched it back when it was on TV and I thought it was all right, but it would have been perfect if we'd have had those extra 15 days right. or those pages, you know, and that's when my job becomes stressful, I think, is when is when I'm worried about this is not going to, you know, the, yeah. on the day, this is really horrible, but the quality is going to suffer further down the line. So, sorry, I, I was on a ramp. I was on no, a real no. ramp. No, please, I love it. I love it. I love everything you're saying. And I like the fact that you, and it's part of your job, but as a, as a literary fan and just a fan of filmmaking, you have the end product of what you being a customer, you being an audience member, what you want to see. And Always. you, re you recognise yeah. the contribution that your role is making for the, for the bigger picture, so to speak. Yeah. You'll and love this as an, as an anecdote. Sorry, to, this yeah. is beyond that. Go, go. But again, the decision that I have to make, there was a little scene where Cosette and, Cosette and Jean Valjean are having bread and cheese when they're walking to Paris and he's just saved her. And in that scene, it's the first time anyone's given her food like to her hand, to her yeah. mouth. 
But we didn't have time to shoot it. Of course we didn't. So we cut it. And I just wanted that scene. I wanted it. So I kept rescheduling it, even though the producer said, and he saw it in the schedule. Said, didn't we cut that? I was like, did we? Uh, we ended up shooting it. It was, it was meant to be in the winter. We ended up shooting it with fake snow in a park in Brussels in the height of summer. And I, I saw it in the show and I went, oh my God, that, it really helps because it shows the transition yeah. from the Tenardiers to Paris. It shows the care that Cosette, you know, she's been abused and now she's being given food and blah, 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 yeah. blah. But even the stress of getting that scene was just, you know. I like the was... fact that you kept sneaking it in. I, was, I thought you were going to say that in the end, you just put yourself in hair and makeup and sit and shoot it yourself. No, no. <laughs> and the director was like, bread and cheese, we got it. But it was, you know, and that is, that is stressful. But get, going back, because you asked me what steps can be put in place by low-budget films in productions to, you know, and obviously there's the, the coordinate, but if they can't afford that. And I, I always go back, because it's probably my job, and after all those experiences of working on jobs like Les Miserables, where it was really stressful and painful and the show didn't come out as well as it should have done because we rushed a lot of it um and working on the perfect jobs like three girls and etc where i know if the script shoots the schedule and you have a first ad who can give you an honest assessment of of what is achievable within this time and give you a good assessment and you have producers and directors who are willing to listen and there's a template you can't you can't have 60 page i I read a script recently 60 pages for an hour's worth of netflix telly i was like 60 pages is one hour 20 and an hour and a half yeah clearly um if you're going to shoot an hour telly is 48 to 50 pages or something like that you know and it I like That's- I like the way your brain works with the mathematics of it. You've done it so much now that when you see it, like you said earlier on, you just know yeah. exactly where it falls and what to do yeah. and where. Yeah. And that 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 telly always grows. It's not one page per minute, which a lot of people think, and a lot of people make that mistake. And so on Willow last year, we ended up brilliantly shooting like 45 pages for an hour's telly, and it was perfect. We shot it in yeah. 30 odd days. And there's a certain formula that works for certain grades of filmmaking. Um, high budget, low budget, you know, everything. And But I'm, I'm looking, looking at a schedule yesterday for someone who's doing Waterloo Road in Manchester. He's like seven and a half pages a day, five scenes. I'm like, yeah, you can do that two cameras. Bleh. You know, and I was just yeah. helping him out. But there's a, and to me, that makes, I, I, I say perfect productions where we made the perfect show. Um, but we also got to the end of all those productions and everybody without fail on that cast and crew and with, throughout the whole production, wanted to go for a drink together, wanted right. to go to the right party together, and there hadn't been one cross word against anybody throughout any of those, you know. So yeah. I say perfect job in terms of the end product, but perfect in terms of the the well-being and happiness of all the people throughout that whole shoot. Because um, people saw that we were wrapping at half six, and they knew they were going to be home at seven to see their families and see their yeah. kids. And they, they had a regularity. And also because all those jobs were five-day weeks. It, we, we do we do we do such a good job. I mean, I, in terms of the UK filmmaking and, and the crews, we do such a good job at proving to the powers that be that we can we can do this in a certain amount of time. And then mm. people are like, well, you can do it. Do it again. You can do it. Do it again. Why add the extra yeah. day? And that's one of the concerns that I keep coming around to. It's like we've done such a good job at proving that we can pull this off. But unfortunately, you lose a lot of crew and people burn out. So yeah. it's, it's almost like it's a difficult one to say no actually add on the days because it would be even better and healthier and it's you know yeah like even things last doing the six day i'm so not a fan of any six day nowadays oh. I, I saw it by with my own eyes last year where we i mean it's a roger michelle who sadly who, who directed the duke of whitland who sadly died last year he was the best and he was coming up with these things and uh I said to him in prep of the Duke, I was like, I know, I, ne- I never got this side of Roger and I just hated to do it because you never want to disappoint him. He was so lovely. 
you never wanted yeah. to stir the stare from him. And we were in prep and I was like, I couldn't find this green screen day where Jim is walking around uh, London. Yeah. I was like, would you ever consider on this show doing a six day? And he was like, they're brutal, unnecessary and a thing of the past. And I was like, Oh my I was God. like, Rog, I was like, Rog, I would never mention that again. I'm so sorry. I should ever do brutal, that. Brutal, brutal, unnecessary and a thing of the past. Thing of the I past. And he, those... was, he was, yeah, sorry. No, I just, I hope those words will echo, echo through to many other producers and directors. Yeah. Brutal thing, yeah, and, that is. And, and I did it last week because Rog wanted to go to bed and he wanted to do his prep and he wanted to be there. And also he knows and I did it last year. We did one Saturday. Monday morning comes around and everyone is knackered. Everyone's fucked. And I was like, just from doing that one Saturday of really hard work, Monday, the work rate, to me, it's the, the work rate goes down. So you're not shooting this quick anyway. The camera operator, bless him, Matt, he was like, I can't think straight. And I could see the decision-making process between director, DOP, and, and camera operator was like, 40% slower because they were all tired and they couldn't do. So as soon as you do that six day, as soon as you do those extra two hours, as soon as you cram it all in, you're not achieving as much every day anyway. Yeah. So you do five day weeks and you come back Monday fresh and everyone's yeah. in and everyone's, and you can do, you can do those extra few setups that you wouldn't have allowed yourself normally, but you could do the six day, you come in on the Monday and you don't achieve the day because it's, yeah. You know, and then it just perpetuates and then snowballs and you're stuck and you're kind Especially of, on a, yeah. And that, this is why this is why we do these podcasts and have conversations with wonderful people like yourself because it's like proving experience and practice and and actual evidence that when you put these things in place when you have the conversation at the beginning you get a better product and you retain your crew and you retain you know people people's well-being and yeah. the more we kind of spread this word out and it's all it's my responsibility it's your responsibility it's anyone who's listening it's in the industry it's their responsibility mm. to to spread to kind of have these conversations and talk about new templates and talk about adding on those extra days. I know I keep repeating myself, but that's, that's part of the big answer of how you can keep making amazing content and keep people happy and safe is to, is to keep having these conversations and make the small little changes that yeah. aren't actually huge. Yeah. They're really small. And I think some people just see it as, Oh my God, that's going to cost me this amount of money. And it's, that's the bigger picture that, that, that is is frustrating that one day will change so we're gonna mm. wrap up soon but i just want to say and i kind of i kind of think that we've already kind of answered the question here but do you see a sea change happening do you see how, how is your feeling in your kind of vision of how the industry is happening now and and how like, was, just just from the experience of working last year on this job i thought the hr team and the support on with lucas film in disney last year were is brilliant really you know they, they they were there to listen the courses we did before you know when people roll their eyes oh i've got to do the hr course yeah i really enjoyed it it was like it was very american it was very but it just it was um it was like watching american soap that's what i mean watching the videos yeah. that they were doing it was, it was quite funny but the 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 policy was had very clear guidelines and very clear guidelines what bullying is uh, what you can do if you're feeling anxiety, what if you're feeling depressed mm -hmm. or anything on the production. And if someone's talking to you in a way that is is not deemed professional in the workplace or deemed appropriate, then there were very, very clear guidelines to, to how to react to that. So I thought that was definitely a result of, of the efforts of the last few years to put that in place. Um, yeah. In terms of what I believe where the stress comes from, which is the workload, 
versus the script that that's all down to individual producers and directors and whoever's in charge of the production and i find you know luckily our producers last year as well were exceptional i found the disney guys and the lucasfilm guys and our producer there were just they were really receptive to like this is how much time you will need you know and they, they tried so the scripts came down so it depends on how you know cooperative that that creative team is um and in terms of it was a shame because shame, one thing I didn't touch on was the, that three girls doing something. Please, that please is, do. Let's do that. Yeah, please do share. That changes. But just I, I found like the working on a show of such serious content and quite disturbing. I, I found myself, um, which is why I'm glad you're when I found out you were doing this position and you were starting this position on films and TV, really valuable because I found after working on three girls, there were certain scenes I shot. And I would go back to them and I would be, you know, when you're triggered, you have this huge yeah. overcome with emotion. Yeah. Like I'd lived through this thing and the research that we did on that show. And I'd, I'd be describing that show to people, how important it was for families and young girls to watch that show and expose grooming. And but some of the research we did on it was was gruesome. It was yeah. horrendous. And I think back to it now and I'm still getting the tingles now. And there was no, not like... There, there was no support on that show. I'm not complaining about it now retrospectively, but there was the fact it seems odd to me now that there was absent from that production any kind yeah. of HR psychological support or anything, and even post that. And so... I was going to say the aftercare. I mean, evidently, yeah. what you're touching on now, are you having a reaction thinking about it now? It's that aftercare yeah. of, you know, I'm shocked that something of that content didn't have any extra psychological mm. support and then check in afterwards, which is something that the wellbeing facilitator role can help facilitate is placing yeah. the care and the aftercare. Mm. And it's so what it so if you don't mind me asking, when when you find that your body is reacting to the things that you've seen, even though you know they're not real, although in this sense it was based on a true story, what is it that you what is it that you recognize first of all and then how do you look after yourself? Uh, if you know um yeah, this is the this is a difficult thing, isn't it? Because it just yeah. kind of I have a I have a very physical reaction to it. I feel yeah. that stress. I want to cry. Do you know what I mean? Because there's certain scenes I think of that we there's one scene that we didn't shoot but was in the script. And right. even reading that scene, reading that scene, and then the ultimate decision, brilliantly, Philip and the BBC were like, we don't need to see that. And you you know, yeah, you probably imagine what it involved. Yeah. But it was, yeah. um, and but it was described by one of the girls in the court later on, and it's 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 horrendous it's like but after meeting the girls that that happened to as well because mm. they visited set um it's you've you've you know you haven't lived through that experience but you've 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 known you've known it yeah. you would normally know and, and it becomes a physical physical reaction yeah it's very yeah. stressful so, it's, no, I, I was at sorry continue sorry no, you, you carry on yep um i was at a i was at a screening yesterday and and i've been to a number of screenings over the 20 year career but I know that there are some people that in my 20s and 30s joked about it and only now in my 40s that I'm recognizing the truth of it and mm. you've mentioned the word PTSD that some people get sweaty palms or they're through their mm. heart pumping and they're like I'm only here at like some event watching what I worked on and you forget what you went through and it is, yeah. it is a sort of trauma and I yeah. think people and it shouldn't be that way and mm. it's, you know, we're not fighting a war. We're not saving lives. We're, it's, mm. 
but trauma comes in such different variations of a spectrum and I think some people are like it can't be traumatic because you know this didn't happen or that didn't happen you're only making a film yeah but trauma yeah. shows itself in various ways shouting hearing loads of shouting watching scene after scene of things that aren't very healthy so having that support is vital yeah 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 no I think absolutely no there was interesting just, just to finish I went to an awards show um yeah. last week and Scorsese's first AD did a speech it was inspiring I loved it it just reminded me Scorsese did an introduction to him like this is my yeah. first day he did, he did Last Temptation of Christ and Goodfellas and Casino and Onward Shutter Island and The Departed and everything as well he's, he's brilliant yeah. and he's the two things which were really important in front of the, the the Directors Guild of America and he was saying for one Scorsese taught him when he first worked with him how to carry himself on set which was to not be a loud bully that's the words he used he was like because Scorsese runs a kind set he doesn't bear that attitude and the fact that he even said loud bully means people do you are loud bullies yes yeah. and so the very fact he was like a warning to everyone that's not how we do things nowadays you know and that's and from Scorsese himself and the last thing he said, he, and at the end of his speech of thanking everyone in his illustrious career and how he's giving back to other ADs and how he's doing these mentorship schemes and everything, helping people, uh, he said the one thing we need to look at is working hours and people's quality of life. That's the way he ended his speech. And it was like, to me, that was just like, that's the way forward. And if people like that high up in a room of directors and producers and other ADs saying, this is what we must be looking at, I think that's the most important thing is our is our workload and how we live our lives outside of work really that is that is that's probably a really poignant note to end on and the fact that someone in that caliber in a room full of people that you'd hope would then spread that message Mm. is hopefully the answer and and it will help new trainees and entrants coming in to see a different industry yeah and uh you know like i said it's everyone's responsibility regardless of what your role is yeah and uh I got goosebumps just thinking about that. If I was in the room and heard that speech, I'd be like, yes, someone fucking gets it. Now make it happen. Like it's everyone's responsibility. Make it happen. And it takes time mm. to change. I'm aware of that. And it tests patience. But the fact yeah. that these conversations are happening, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. And it should, it should yeah. That's, that's our conversation going forward, isn't it? <laughs> sure. I could yeah. talk with you for hours. I want to, <laughs> no. I want to, I want to just pontificate for hours. And I know that, I know that <laughs> that's, we've got to, maybe we'll do a part two at another time. Okay. <laughs> but um I'm really, really grateful for your time and sharing your stories today and just, you know, I hope that you're okay and just mm. keep being the wonderful presence that you have already been. And I'm so pleased that I got to I didn't directly work with you, but I got to socialize with you and see you work. And that was a troubling time for me on that job. And it was so great to have you. So you're an amazing human and you do an amazing job. And thank mm. you very much for your time. Thank you. I loved your company too on that job. Bless you. It was amazing. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Okay. You, you take it easy and I will speak to you soon. Okay. Take care, everybody. Okay. Bye.